2024, A Cosmic Flash. The lesson I learned from the bust at our house and from what Dan taught me showed me that people coming there drew attention, not only from the cops, but from other people who could cause trouble. I wanted to do things different and avoid problems, but as careful as I played it, problems still arose in ways I couldn't have imagined. Dan told me that to sell drugs successfully, I had to keep myself isolated by not letting anyone but a few trusted associates know where I lived and to deliver the drugs to those who wanted them so the traffic coming to me didn't make me the center of the activity. I only gave my contacts my phone number. I had developed a good relationship with a gangly, dark-haired dealer with dark, sunken eyes and a droopy mustache named Terry, who managed four apartments in an old converted mansion. For tenants, he had a couple of sweet little old ladies who always baked cookies and cakes, which gave us a perfect front. I rented an upstairs apartment. Any big drug exchanges we made went through the inner hallway and up the stairs from his place to mine, so no one saw any traffic between us. I kept the attention off of myself by driving different routes so I didn't establish any patterns. Hardly anyone knew where I lived, and my stash and money stayed safe. Terry had connections from many interesting substances, and he introduced me to some new experiences, but he had a weakness for downers, which caused problems that I didn't anticipate. I had learned my lesson from being strung out on amphetamines, but I still hadn't woken up enough to see the quagmire that threatened us from Terry's developing problems. He had access to diabetic hypodermics and liked to shoot things up, and some of what he offered provided experiences that I had yet to try. So far, I had shot up crystal methadrine, LSD, and cocaine. With Terry, I tried heroin and PCP. I didn't have any satanic experiences when I shot up angel dust. Instead, I felt very drunk, like floating through a fog. Everything moved in slow motion, as if I lived in the bottom of a huge barrel of jello. Heroin put me way down under in a different way. Thank God its energy didn't appeal to me. I felt drawn to LSD and other more visionary experiences. In parallel to my growing relationship with Terry, I developed a solid friendship with a guy in my squadron from East St. Louis. Stocky with brown hair and a mustache, Killer Miller turned out to be one of the best friends I ever had. After my talk with the Air Force shrinks, I had an offer to work the graveyard shift, which meant seeing less people and less contact with the military, which I couldn't wait to escape from. Killer and I both worked graveyard and usually went back to his house in the mornings. When his wife went to work, we went to bed with me sleeping on the couch. We slept until the afternoon, then each drank a six-pack of Miller beer, smoked lots of weed, and worked on our vans. While finishing the last year of my hitch in the Air Force, my brother moved to Southern California. I went out to spend a couple of weeks with him, and for the first time in my life, I was exposed to peace, love, and the concept of being a vegetarian, which made sense to me at the time. My new hippie perspective intensified the battle raging inside of me between what I thought of as good and evil. With Dan no longer there to drag me down into the darkness, 
I thought there might be hope for me to be a good person. With all I had been through, especially with Dan, I still didn't feel as if I had gone bad in my heart. After visiting California, I settled into a groove working graveyard shift, issuing electronic components, and sleeping in the back room because things moved so slowly. Outside of work, I ran my drug business, making deliveries and pickups, and having fun keeping things low-key until someone tried to set me up at a party at Killer's house. A friend of his had a girlfriend whose father was a chief of police. She came to the party with a guy that none of us knew and disappeared a short while later, leaving her friend behind. After a little time passed, he asked me if I knew where he could buy some drugs. I said, no. Then to Killer and some others, I said, does anyone know this guy? No one answered. Then I said, how did you get in here and who are you that you come to a party where no one knows you and ask people if you can buy drugs? You a cop or something? He made lame excuses and disappeared in a hurry. Feeling spooked, I took off after he did, half expecting a full-on raid. I hid my stash and laid low for a few days, telling Killer that his buddy's girlfriend had tried to set us up. He agreed and cut her loose. In my quest for new experiences, I felt driven to try everything I could. The more illicit, the better. Having seen so many lies and hypocrisy from our government, I hated this system more than ever and figured that if they made it illegal, it had to be good. I had no real awareness of it at the time, but my hunger for new experiences spearheaded my search for purpose and the meaning that had been lacking in my life. I had done all manner of mind-altering substances, but I never had anything remotely resembling a mystical or religious experience unless being laughed at by the devil while I thought I was dying could be considered mystical. I never thought of it that way. I thought of it as a paranoid drug episode. On June 21st, 1976, the day of the summer solstice, at the age of 21, I had a profound mystical experience that transformed me to the core of my being and changed my life's direction forever. The battle between the energies inside of me that I thought of as good and evil had reached fever pitch, flip-flopping back and forth endlessly during the course of a day, driven by the fury of my frustrated anger. Both good and bad, Terry had procured many novel substances for me that I had yet to experience, among them Hawaiian baby woodrose seeds, a species similar to morning glory, classified as Argueria nervosa. Woodrose has the distinction of being the most potent of this class of hallucinogens, with lysergic acid amide concentrations up to three times that of other morning glory species. LSD-25 is D-lysergic acid diethylamide. Baby Woodrose doesn't contain diethylamide, but its lysergic acid amides are still psychoactive. I didn't know any of this at the time. I only knew that the Woodrose came from a plant and taking it supposedly had similarities to LSD, my favorite drug. So the idea of taking something new that occurred naturally in a plant appealed to me particularly in light of the fact that I had become a vegetarian. I chewed 13 rosewood seeds on an empty stomach on that warm summer day and drove out to the swimming pond to party with my friends. There, the rosewood seeds came on strong, building steam, but never with any edginess like the frenetic energy of LSD. I ended up alone, 
floating in the middle of the pond on a big truck inner tube under warm sunlight. In that magical moment, my flip-flopping rage peaked and my perceptions opened like unfolding blossoms. My whole being expanded, making me highly aware of the magic, complexity, and connectedness of everything both through me and in me. All the while, the struggle of light and dark raged insanely inside of me. I had too many contradictions in everything I thought, said, and did. In a cosmic flash, all of the pieces snapped into place. I looked to the shoreline and saw the exact point where the water met the shore, where the earth and water touched, warmed by the sun and cooled by a gentle breeze, meaning that all of the elements, earth, air, fire, and water, became present at that exact moment, making it the meeting point and center of the universe. In that same flash, I had the realization that in truth, I constituted the center of the universe. All of this and more instantaneously flooded me in abstract symbols and archetypal images that communicated information faster, better, and more condensed than any language ever spoken. In the infinite variety of life experiences that we share with others, none of us truly knows each other's thoughts. We may have psychic, telepathic, and intuitive flashes, but in the end, all we really know and all we really have are our own thoughts that drift and scatter into strange places when we lose consciousness, fall into sleep, or experience any manner of shifts in our awareness. We receive life through five senses where sensory impressions come to us at our center. We are the focal point where everything comes together, hopefully making sense to us in a meaningful way. If we cease to exist on this earth, it is a two-way street. Not only do we cease to exist on this earth, but the earth ceases to exist for us and the rules of stimulus and response change. How could the earth possibly exist if there were nobody there to perceive it? 